0: Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode. I think there's a really key word that we use whenever we talk about maps, and it's reading. You don't just look at a map and go, right? You have to learn to read it. It's like learning a language. Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plot. And here's your
1: host, Jake Lowe.
2: Welcome to the show. This is Running with Jake, the podcast. For the next 40 minutes, I want you to forget about work. Zoom meetings, emails, that pile of washing that's just growing on the kitchen floor, and the score run. You want to forget about all those? This is your weekly dose of running motivation, and boy, are we fired up today! Oh, yes! Oh, yes! Oh, yeah! Well, I do actually <laughs> say forget about the score yes. runs, but obviously, that I don't really mean forget about the score run because that would be. I mean, that would be terrible. That would make you, like, a really bad parent, wouldn't it? And I know what you're all thinking listening to this. You're like, oh, he just said forget about the schoolroom. If, hypothetically speaking, I were to forget about the schoolroom, would it be the drop-off or the pick-up? I know that's what you're asking yourself. Would it be drop-off
1: or pick-up? <laughs> well, <laughs> it would certainly be the pickup because obviously, um with the drop off, if you forget to drop the kid off, the kid's kicking around the house the whole day long, but nobody wants that, and let's not forget as well, if you don't take your kid to school, you're going to get fined, so yeah, definitely the the latter half of the school room would be the bit that you'd you'd want to miss if indeed you were going to miss the schoolroom, but we don't think you should do that. Really, do we, Jake? We were just joking. So, to all the parents listening to the
2: show today, if you uh, would like to drop us an email, podcast rinomajake.com, just let us know your answer, really. We're really keen. We'll maybe take some kind of poll and then we'll announce the results on next week's episode. <laughs> would you rather forget the drop-off yeah. or the pick-up? <laughs> do let us know.
1: And what we'll do is we will, we'll keep your email safe and sound. Uh, we won't be sharing it with the RSPB. No, the RSPCA. No, the... The the ones that look after kids. WWF at uh, Childline. That they're the ones. They're the ones. Whoever. Whatever. No, look. We are joking.
2: <laughs> education, man, it's important. You, got, you look. You, you education doesn't just end at school. I got a C
1: in home economics. You know, home ec, home economics. You believe that? Uh, do you know what? I find that really hard to believe that you didn't actually get an A because you are very home economic in the way that you do things. I mean, like, I remember when you were young, you would you do you just go and make stuff, man, and. You are a whiz in the kitchen, and I believe you still are. I've seen you with a coffee pot. I don't think it's that I'm a whiz in the kitchen. I think it's that you are exceedingly
2: terrible in the kitchen. That That's all it is. It's all about who what? you're comparing yourself with. It's, it's as simple as that. How dare you? How dare you? I have, I genuinely, genuinely, I have no idea how I got a C in home economics. I got an A in drama, by the way. I mean, that comes as no surprise, does it? Let's be honest. I got an, I got an A in drama. I just wing my way through that. <laughs> I got two B's in English. So like English, it was like a double award, English language. I don't even think it was English literature. It was like two double awards. I don't understand it, but I got that anyway. I got. uh, did well in science, but home economics, I mean, honestly, and I genuinely have no idea how because I just used to cook the same thing no matter the task that was set. It was just the same thing every single week. The teacher used to say, right, class next
1: week, you know, you have to create this, this is your task, and I would just cook. Broken biscuit cake. Signature dish, and clearly the teacher was a big fan of that. But you know, with with that whole drama getting an A thing, you you were very theatrical, you were very good at acting, you did all that. Obviously Um, If you get an A in drama, surely you can get an A in the rest of it because all acting is is pretending. So you could just, like, pretend you were better in the kitchen than you actually were. Do you know what I mean? I think that's probably how I got a C. It must be. I mean, broken biscuit (laughs) cake. I say
2: cook. You don't really cook it. You just smash up the biscuits, which was probably, to be fair, that was the best bit about the whole process, just hammering the biscuits in a bag, smashing them them up, making loads of noise, and then you just throw in a load of syrup, And some sultanas. I think there might have been a bit of, was he a bit of butter in there or something? I don't know. And you just like, just bung it in the fridge, let it set, and that's it. Voila, (laughs) check that out. I mean, what? So, next Friday class, I'd like you to make something that you could take on a picnic.
1: That'll be broken biscuit cake. Then there we go. That's it. That's it. I I, I know how we like to, um, you know, share resources uh, for the show for people listening right now. Everybody will be thinking, I wonder what Jake's broken biscuit cake is like. So, is there any chance you could you could like put a recipe sheet together today, and we could upload it with the notes? Is that cool? Because that would be that would be awesome. <laughs> Well, I mean, I can try. You peeing up butter balls? They've gone down an absolute storm. That's one of the... They were great. You we nearly broke the internet with your recipe for that. I mean, if we could get a recipe for the broken biscuit cake online as well, that'd be great. You you would definitely love the broken biscuit cake, actually. I mean, if it's good enough for Christopher Columbus,
2: did he did he live did he live on that? Well, well, that was one of the tasks that the teacher set us. So what I remember one distinctly was you know take something that you could take on a picnic with you. That's cool. Okay, broken biscuit cake, box tick, nailed that one. Uh, right, next Friday you've got to make something that you believe Christopher Columbus would have taken with him on his expedition to the West Indies. Broken biscuit cake all day long. I mean that 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 stuff does not go off. I'm telling you. It does not go off. <laughs> hey, I passed. <laughs> I gotta see. I gotta see. Right, class, next week you are on a plane with the Uruguayan rugby team and you crash into the Andes Mountains. Broken biscuit cake all day long. You don't need to eat each other. <laughs> Just eat my broken biscuit cake. <laughs> It's the future and the past.
1: Download the recipe now at runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Don't. It won't be there. It won't be there. You'll go there, there'll
2: just be nothing. There'll be nothing there. (laughs) Don't check it out. For the show notes and video content,
1: go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Running with Jake, the podcast. Well, as luck would have it,
2: I'm in a very good mood today, and I'm really up for chatting around running, bit of adventure, quite like talking about adventure where running's concerned. And I wouldn't mind a chat around running adventures in Scotland. Hello, <laughs> Ross. Welcome what? to the show. It's like, it's like we planned it. <laughs> yeah. Do you like that? Do you like? Do you know like what I did there? The whole running oh, adventure thing, Scotland.
0: That was a magic segue, <laughs>
2: wasn't it?
1: That was.
0: This lovely. is
2: this is the point where after we've recorded this chorus, Pete will then call me and say, "Mate, that was terrible. I'm editing that out. <laughs> we've got to re-record it. That's what I'll we'll do. That's what I'll we'll do." Ross, it's great to have you on the show. Obviously, you've got a, a new book coming out in May, which is super exciting running adventures in scotland which is what it's all about we're connecting on zoom now i can see you on the video you've got that the the mountain range behind you which looks a bit odd because you sat in front of that in a t-shirt but that's fine (laughs) that's fine you're obviously hardcore up there tell me about the book and why release that book what is it about running and the adventure behind running and obviously that terrain that environment that you love so much where did it all start for you
0: yeah so thanks for having me on it's really uh great to be talking about the book um and actually this is the first podcast i've been on talking about it so you guys are kind of getting the first bite of the apple hey, we've, you we've like. got the it's scoop really it's the scoop you got the scoop hey. that's it
2: cool man um, this is like a dress rehearsal for you you know you can be really polished when you're on much better podcasts yeah be really it, it can so this only is go good. up from here <laughs> it can yeah, i'm yeah. glad we all recognize <coughs> that just waffle see what happens and we'll go from there
0: exactly yeah no thanks so um running a Adventure scotland as it says on the tin it is a book about getting up into wild places running around in scotland um, most people will find whenever they go up to scotland that it's kind of almost like this place where you can have the world's your oyster um, we have incredible access rights in scotland and that just means that the whole um, the mountains and uh the glens and everything are pretty much free for you to to access uh within you know responsible limits and I find that often people are like, I don't really know where to go. Um, I don't know where the terrain's like, I don't know how far I'm going. I don't really know how to read the maps um, that are, you know, a little bit different. Um, So part of the reasoning behind the book is to provide that runner's guide to exploring the mountains. Um, There's plenty of books out there about how to complete the Munroes, go out for great mountain walking days. But for runners, I think we do look for something a little bit different. Um, And for me, that was all about, you know, the great views, uh, the ability to go out and actually run. Um, That sounds a little bit strange, but oftentimes you'll find that when you're running around in Scotland, it's heather bashing, bouldery, steep climbs, and you're wondering where is actually a good trail. Uh, So what I'm trying to do with this book is to basically unlock Scotland for a runner and say to them this is how you can enjoy it um, and get out and explore some of the, the wild places that are up there um, the book kind of came about actually uh, through a rather fortuitous alley if you like so Kirsty um, Reid is the commissioning editor at Vertebrate Publishing I must have been on a list of some kind for a little while uh, I think it must have been a good list to be on because uh, here we are now <laughs> and she reached out to me and said, you know, would you be interested in writing a book? And gave me a list of a few things. And the one that stood out head and shoulders above the rest was this Running Adventure Scotland pitch. Uh, So I put together a list of routes uh, and an idea of how we'd go about writing the book. And here we are a year and a half later.
2: It really strikes a chord with me because I love the whole you know in all seriousness running adventures and getting off road and just exploring for me is like I said this recently on an episode I think actually Ross it, it for me it's like being a kid again that's what it feels like you know when you just don't have the barriers as a kid and you just go for it and you're not bothered you get muddy you don't care it doesn't matter if you get lost you know <laughs> to a degree perhaps just to your parents but to you as a kid you don't care we're just out there doing our thing exactly and exploring and and it, and it feels a little bit like that and another analogy I use and this may sound a little bit random to some people and i I hope it doesn't to you, Ross, but it's almost like, and try and stay with me on this. When I'm on the off road, it's almost like a bit of a video game. And it's interesting that you mention unlock, un- unlocking the routes in Scotland and stuff, because it is that kind of. Almost exploring and new areas to go and you know seek out and 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 I like piecing routes together as well. And you know you go out, you get it wrong, you mess it up, especially if you're not using a book or a guide like you, you're releasing in May. You, you kind of have to go and just do it yourself, and then you come back. And you go, oh, damn! I should have turned left at the tree. Right, I'm going to get back out there what do you think some of the barriers are, Ross, in your experience? You're obviously a passionate man with all this stuff. What are some of the barriers for people to getting into that wonderful environment that we both love? Because I think people quite like the idea in their mind, but they haven't kind of gone and done
0: it yet. So with my other hat on, I actually work for an environmental charity doing engagement and events. And this is something that I deal with on quite a regular basis. And post-lockdown we obviously saw a massive number of people going into the outdoors um, but also with that a lot of the pressures that come with it Uh, and that is you know people who are you know leaving litter or perhaps are leaving their campsites uh, in the wild and so on and Scotland was uh, yeah quite quite hard hit by that and I think a lot of the times it's just um, people haven't been able to get that opportunity to access places like that from when they were a kid. Um, I was really fortunate, grew up in Scotland, with parents who were super into their hill walking, I got out like, you know, as soon as I was able to and was climbing one rose at the age of ten. You know, for me to be able to do that step change and think like somebody else is is really important because I think we do we do often take things for granted, like how to read a map, how to wear the right amount of kit. What's the difference between a soft shell jacket, a hard shell jacket, and a down jacket? For loads of people, these just sound like totally the same thing. And you'll go to Mountain Warehouse and you'll pull the jacket off the rail and think, you'll keep it, it'll keep you it dry. <laughs> Oftentimes it's just taking people through that. And um, there's a marked difference between the landscapes of like the Lake District, uh, the Peak District, the Brick and Beacons to Scotland. It's a vast area. Um, often you're in quite remote spaces. You can be without signal. Uh, it, the weather changes really, really rapidly. I think a lot of people don't quite appreciate that. And it's just about educating them and helping them see it for themselves and then giving them an understanding of how to approach these places safely and to enjoy themselves as much as possible.
2: I guess it's bridging that gap for people that are perhaps, that they're used to the environment, maybe... Walking, getting out there hiking, either you know family trips as a kid, or whether it's what they do now to get some headspace and some exercise. But then the, the next step is just kind of increasing the effort, as it were, and turning it into a into a run. And running, obviously, the parts of this, this this wonderful environment that you can run. You know you can't run all of it. Some of it's a bit scrambly, depending on the types of terrain. You obviously know all about that, the the difference in environment. But it's so much fun. But I do think there's a lot to kind of consider as well. You mentioned the whole a so map reading thing that like navigating for somebody that wants to get into this and doesn't really know where to go how would they start I mean obviously you've got great routes in the book that people can follow it's really clear pretty straightforward stuff but if people are, lo- are looking at running elsewhere let's say you know somewhere down in around me on
0: the South Downs Way or whatever how do people start to
2: learn to map read
0: I think there's a really key word that we use whenever we talk about maps and it's reading um, you don't just look at a map and go right. You have to learn to read it. It's like learning a language. Um, You know, understanding how contour lines work, understanding the different rights of way. In particular, in in England, you know, you've got various rights of way. You've got footpaths, you've got byways, you've got bridleways. Just look at, um, you know, a map of your sort of, like, local area, if you like. You know, if you've got a a local park or something like that, that can fit onto the map, of course. (laughs) Cool out. (laughs) Sorry. Hang on a second. (laughs) Somebody wants to go on an adventure. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> Sorry, I'm on the thing. <laughs> Ross, it's your first podcast. It doesn't matter. Because obviously when you're on like, you know, the high grade podcast, the A-listers, you don't have to worry about that then. The dog won't be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: do you get out? Do you get out
2: with, with the dog on the trails as well? Do you run with the dog? Would you just go yourself?
0: Yeah, so he's not that old yet. Uh, he is about 17 months now. Wow. Um, so he's just starting to get into the sort of longer days out. We've maybe had him out for th- four hours, you know, sort of on easy trails, things. Um, so we've been building it up slowly over the past, you know, uh, six months or so, because obviously you can't run them too soon. Um, so he's he's done a few Monroe's, Um, you know, he, and, and he's managed it quite well, uh, which I'd be very impressed <laughs> with. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're hoping that in the next like few months or so we can take him away for some proper trips and get him up into the big hills and things like that because he'll just go forever you've got to improve uh, his he's a cocker spaniel you've got
2: to improve his map reading skills i mean cocker spaniel's full of energy my girlfriend's a vet i know all about that they're just like crazy which oh, yeah. is amazing get him up to speed on map yeah. reading that's what you need then you can take a back seat you can just chill out and enjoy the environment <laughs> he can lead
0: yeah exactly exactly <laughs> Going back to our thing about map reading, so we kind of talked about the right ways and, and and understanding that. But yeah, if you look at if you look at a local area to you and you can look around and you can start to paint a three D picture on a map um, as to how that landscape is read. So you don't learn to map read by just reading a map. You learn to read the map by looking at the environment around you, and it's a very easy mistake to make for people just to wander around staring at the map, thinking that that is how you will go about. Uh, understanding where you're going but you do have to look up and look around you so it is a tool to be used in that sense so yeah I think if people get to know how understand the language of maps first um, Ordnance Survey have really good resources that can help you understand that Um, that's obviously the biggest map company that the UK has uh, and the UK has phenomenal mapping Uh, it's like literally it's just You know, world class standard. Everything, uh, all of our um, you know spaces have got mapping on them, and great for walkers and and runners. They'll take people through how to understand the various um, symbols and what different dots and dashes mean, and then you can start to build up a picture of like, oh, now I can see how I can get to that. You know, that like great trail, for instance, you know, Southwest Coast Path will look very clear on the map. It'll you know with the dots and uh, the little diamonds on it to show that it's a great trail. So I think yeah, people people want to learn how to read a map and, and get out it really just get get one of your local area and somewhere that you know quite well and understand how that is then imprinted onto a map is really key and just do it again and again it's easy to fall out of the habit of uh, you know looking at a map i think as runners we're particularly bad for just shooting off like enjoying like a great trail or whatever and then not actually taking the time to go oh man where <laughs> where am I?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you make some really interesting points there, Ross. You know, the, the whole matching the map with the environment, what do you see? Don't just put your head in the map. You might do that at home, obviously, on the on the living room floor. Open it out, have a good look, start to plot the area, but then kind of try and match it when you're out there. Runners in general, we can be a little bit time poor. Let's face it, everybody can be. So if we've got time to run, we just want to get out there and kind of run and just a route that we know and maybe stick to the roads or whatever. Mm. Or if it is a trail, it's a trail we know, so we could just do it. I think, and this is what helped me, I, I got to the point a few years ago when I was getting into trail running not to be afraid to get it wrong and for it not to be a perfect circular exactly. route. Does that make sense? So get, like out and back is great, isn't it? Because you, typically yeah. you're not going to get lost, really? You know, if you're going mm. reasonable weather and you're not too ambitious, just, you know, run three miles out in one direction, run slash walk, turn around, and come back the same way. And then you, you kind of piece it together, don't you?
0: I actually perhaps am a little bit different than this and my partner will definitely be like nah, loops are definitely a thing to do and out and backs are boring <laughs> but I actually really do think that an out and back has a lot of merit to it because for me and this whole book what I was trying to get across is that running out there in the hills and things is all about landscape it's all about being out in the natural environment and for me an out and back it's just an opportunity for me to see the landscape from a different perspective. Got you. You know, if I'm running one way and then I come back and I'm like, oh, I never. That, that's like a really cool way of like looking at that scenery. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't notice that pocket of trees or this river earlier on because I was running uphill as opposed to downhill. And I think that yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of opportunity to just make your own adventure. And what I do try to encourage in this book is there's a couple of routes at the end that are multi-day routes that for some people will be you could do in a day. Um, for other people, it'll maybe be two or three days. Uh, but one of them is connecting um, a series of bothies, um which in Scotland are basically huts that will have once been used by, you know, uh, farmers whenever they move the sheep up onto the hills, and they would have lived there. But nowadays, they are just empty, sort of stone built cottages, Volunteers will go along and they'll, they'll put a wood-burning stove in they'll put like sleeping platforms and so on and what I thought was like wouldn't it be cool in the Cairngorms to link up a, b- a bunch of bothies uh, and that's the kind of thing that really gets me excited and I try to encourage people in the book like this is literally just a starting point the reason it's called running Adventure Scotland, 25 inspirational routes in Scotland's wild places, is because it's just inspiration. I don't want you to see this as the be all and end all. This is a springboard for you to explore Scotland on your own.
2: Love that springboard. What's your favourite type of run? What's your kind of, if I was to say to you, what's your your perfect day, like running wise? What does that look like? and, and, And where is it? Do you have a specific route? The
0: first one that really comes to mind is one I did put in the book, and it's called the South Glen Shield Ridge. You do it as a point-to-point, basically. So you would uh, you would drop your car off at the start, and then you've got a relatively steep, rough, uh, kind of grassy, quite a mixed terrain getting up onto the ridge. Um, and then once you're on the ridge, oh, boy, it's so cool. It's quite an entry, you know, a good, a good run to do, actually, if you're getting into sort of mountain running, because, yes, there's a lot of elevation in it, but actually it's rolling the whole way, and you get seven Munros ticked off and Munros are hills over 3000 feet in Scotland and there's 282 of them. So to get seven in one go is quite something. And then you've got this great, like, you know, Land Rover track back. But the whole time you're just looking around you and you get this, you know, if it's not a claggy, <laughs> misty day, uh, you get such stunning views over the, the other glens. It's just a magic place. Um, but You know, the picture that, obviously people can't see this who are listening to the podcast, but the picture behind me on my Zoom is from a trip that I did uh, in uh, the Ben Alder area, which is sort of like right in the centre of Scotland and is pretty remote. And me and my friend, we hiked in, we slept at the Bothy on Friday night, we left our like big hiking stuff there. And then we went off on this like totally DIY route where we just wanted to clock off the six or so Munros that are sort of in the area and it was quite pathless and trudgy at times and we were going up rivers and r- rough steep grounds but honestly the sense of adventure was just it was out of this world I'd not been to those hills before and the chance to sort of link them up in this big loop was something that I really do love and that's the kind of running that really gets me excited. I spend so long on mapping stuff, just creating random routes that I think like, wow, how how can I link that up? Or how could you get from here to there? And maybe you could do all these hills here. And that's just the kind of thing that I daydream about constantly. Um, so my perfect run is just getting that sense of adventure. And you get bad days, but sometimes you'll get a real crack indeed
2: yeah and there's so many things at play aren't there so many moving parts with the, the kind of off-road terrain and whatnot it's that there's this the, the difficulty factor the grading of it as it were and you mentioned some of the routes in the book that are kind of better for people just getting <laughs> into it and then there's some more technical ones yep. and people want to do multi-day stuff towards the back of the book and things like this so it's finding what works for the individual as well i think is important but mm-hmm. that variety comes from the, um, the, the the sort of weather conditions as well doesn't it you know you're on the road it's either wet or dry yeah. typically and i'm not knocking it. I, 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 I'm a road runner, I guess, more than an off-road runner in many respects. But when you're out in that environment, as long as you embrace it, the off-road I'm talking here, it's just so different. It's just so different. You actually get to see the seasons and experience the seasons. So I'm, I'm all up for that. I think it's awesome. Now, one thing that runners do, Lord, let's be honest, whether you run the roads or the off-road, is kit. We like kit. We say we're going to get into running because it's a cheap sport, and then we just spend... <laughs> gosh knows how much on trainers we probably don't need and all the different technical kit obviously when you're in the environment that you love so much you do need that technical technical kit what's your most valuable item i don't mean in terms of cost obviously monetary value but what's the most important Mm. thing that you can't live without when you're going out there in those environments
0: obviously a great pair of shoes is key because one of the things that differs from road running to fell trail hill running if you like is that often trail fell shoes will have uh, deeper lugs on them so lugs are sort of like the studs at the bottom of the shoe if you like and often you'll find in proper hill running shoes they're basically like football boots you know big rubber studs on the bottom of them um, that allow you to grip to the uh, the ground better and having a pair of shoes that you have confidence in on a variety of terrain is really really key um that route that I was telling you about in Ben Alder was really mixed terrain but a lot of it was grassy it was tussocky it was boggy uh, but there was rocks in places and I needed a pair of shoes that I was like super confident in that I knew wouldn't slip and then follow my backside and hurt myself Um, and also that you know I felt comfortable in running for a reasonable amount of time but crucially the difference between also the difference between trail and road shoes is that it might have a little bit less cushioning in them Um, and that just allows your feet which are just as complex as your hands for their ability to move around and we do forget that sometimes Um, they need to be able to have an opportunity to find the ground as well Um, so if we put a whole load of foam underneath our feet they're just sitting there sleeping basically and getting a cushy ride the whole way but whenever you're out on the hills and stuff you really need to be able to switch your feet on because you'll need to use them. Um, Your toes and everything will be like, you know, finding their own bit of ground. So a pair of shoes that allows you to do that is really key. Um, And the other one is a blooming good rain jacket. Um, It's very easy for us as runners to skimp on kit. Um, And in particular, whenever we're going into rough remote terrain, I see a lot of runners who do really slim down on the old jacket and coming from a hill walking and mountaineering background myself I know how quickly the weather can change and how prepared you have to be and sometimes you do need to take two jackets um you can have like a lightweight one for just if the drizzle's coming on but if it got really bad um you really want to make sure that you've got like almost like a a mountaineering jacket um i've ran in an arcteryx mountaineering jacket before and no shame about it because you just got to have it for your safety
2: i know the audience that listens to the show they're all going to be saying just ask him which shoes he wears he's going on about these great shoes that kind of are good for (laughs) everything what does he wear what are your shoes what what make and model do you run in
0: yeah so i am quite partial to innovates innovate, ah. um, innovate are, a, are a british based brand. uh they are actually based in the lake district i have to declare a slight bias that my partner is one of the product managers for them so <laughs> very honest I, <laughs> very honest but even even before then they were my absolute shoe of choice because they're just designed for the hills that i'm running in um I particularly love most recently they came out with the Cross Talon Ultra 260 for most people it would be relatively minimalist but for me it felt like it's got a little bit more cushioning in it that just allows a little bit of give on those longer days and it's got nice deep lugs uh, that really do grip to the to the rough uh sort of like heathery and grassy terrain whilst also being supple enough to grip to rock and so on
2: it's great what you said about the kind of having that feeling in in your feet and allowing that feeling to come through when you're when you're out there you you know you, your feet want to read the ground they don't want that kind of stiff shoe where you, you just kind of they're Bit of a passenger and coming along for the ride, so to speak. Injury and stuff. Are you? Is this something that, is it in your mind? Are you Are you injury plagued as an individual? Do you, are you quite lucky? Do you not really pick up the injuries? Where are you with that? And do you have to be mindful of it when you're out there?
0: Yeah. So actually at the moment, uh, I am I am an injured runner right now. No. Um, I've had some I know, it sucks. Um, I've had uh, some recurring issues in my feet, actually. You've got a few tendons that run into your feet. One of them is your posterior tibial tendon. um, And that attaches into just above your arch, runs up the inside of your ankle, and then kind of goes up into your calf. I had it problems in my right foot last year, and now it's subtly moved over to the left. But thankfully, I managed to catch it before it's gotten too bad. So all it needs is a bit of time off an R&R. Uh, but really, that was just from a little bit of overtraining and um, perhaps some issues with uh, stability muscles. Uh, one of the things that you do have to remember as a runner is that I come from like a powerlifting background as well. So I did powerlifting and cycling. Um, and, you know, I think like pushing big weights, that's like keeping strong, right? Uh, but for, for me, uh, I have to work a lot on those stability muscles, like sort of in the glutes. When you land, you're landing on one leg and your leg has to kind of like, stabilize to allow you to then transfer the power through your big toe is your last push-off point so yeah i'm kind of like at the moment doing a lot of like strength and conditioning work but not in how i would typically see it it's not all squats and deadlifts and and so on now it's more like clams resistance bands box step ups little things that allow me to like practice those stability muscles a little bit so as someone with very flexible ankles i do become quite prone to sort of like a roll of the ankle or you know a twist here and there and running on the terrain that I do is kind of <laughs> a, a sort of occupational hazard if you like but I've certainly been uh you know my eyes have been open to how important it is to really work those little muscles you know yes big muscles your quads your glutes and so on really do need the work but really look after your feet um even if that is while you're you know brushing your teeth morning and night putting a towel on the floor and just using your toes to scrunch it up and then roll it back out again, do it again and again, you know, do standing on one leg, going up onto your toes, uh, just working those little stability muscles and improving the muscles of your feet just allows you to grab the ground and really push off and feel confident whenever you're landing yes yeah,
2: it's, the, it's the fussy stuff isn't it i imagine as well you're talking about your strength and conditioning background mm. and powerlifting and stuff it's very different i'm sure there's a role for working those little muscles but even more important now with the, with the sort of running that you do and, and it's getting clever with it you know you mentioned mm. scrunching the towel up while you you're brushing your teeth and i say this to a lot of my runners as a, as a coach ross you know stand on one leg while you're brushing your teeth to work on a little bit of balance and try and activate your glute to, mm. to help you control the movement and stuff well i'm sorry to hear that you are injured my friend and i hope you make a speedy recovery (laughs) i'm sure you will i'm wondering just how much energy and passion you would have if you weren't injured because at the moment it's just you you exude passion so it's just awesome to have you on the show and chat to you tell me a bit about events is this you know we're talking about the adventure stuff and obviously all the great routes in the book do you get involved events is that something that floats your boat or do you just like to run
0: for yourself and do your own thing pre-covid 2019 was like a really great year racing wise for me i had some really fantastic events that i went along to such as the trotternish ridge race on sky massive adventure like 34k 2200 meters or so of climbing pretty much all navigation there was no like gpx file to follow and it was in really atrocious conditions (laughs) which was fun it was so much fun um so that was great and then I did the Oakle 2000s which is another really long classic race in Scotland but um, sort of culminated the year with the Ring of Steel Sky Race um, which is this absolute beast of a race that's just outside of Fort William that was a phenomenal race like incredible scenery you know you're near Ben Nevis and, and these really big mountains um, so the scenery is stunning um, and it's got some pretty severe ups and downs and and incredible ridges that you get to follow as well so That was phenomenal. And it took like five and a half hours to get around that. It was a beast of a day. Um, And that was only to cover like 26 kilometres. So you just get this like idea in your head about how it is. Um, Recently, I think I've I've not done a heck of a lot of racing just because part of it's just due to trying to get some consistency back in my my own running and being like, I want to get a good bit of uh, consistency going. But also because I'm really bad for whenever it comes to race day and I go and see the weather and I go oh, it is a great day today. How good would it be to just go off into the hills on an adventure by myself? <laughs> and because hill running events tend to be a little bit cheaper. Um, you know, you spend 10 pounds at century on the day sometimes. Um, nowadays, there's a little bit more that you have to do pre-entry for. But I just go, man, that'd be so good to just get up into the hills and have a really class adventure. So I'm quite guilty for doing that. And I tend to plan my own stuff. So I think some point soon, there'll probably be an event which I come across that I go, oh, that's totally psyched me up. I really want to go do that. I think for the time being, I'm going to keep keep like daydreaming about incredible routes to run. And then if something comes along that piques my interest, then I'll certainly dive in. I totally get that because you can just you
2: just go as you feel then if you feel inspired to go and do something and do a particular route you could just do it i i I must admit i can totally relate to what you've said there ross and not just like uh, the off-road kind of you know you talk about the cheaper events but like you know big half marathons and stuff i've kind of sacked off at the last minute because actually i fancy getting on the off-road you know i've definitely done that before so it's a thing but hey we've got to do what's right for us and what we feel compelled to do you know running's about enjoying it isn't it ross I could talk to you all day. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat about adventures and your passion. Obviously, the new book, very exciting, is out May, Running Adventures Scotland. Where can people find out more and get
0: hands on a copy? So if people head to Verse Publishing's website, so v-publishing.co.uk, you can pick up a copy from the 5th of May. You're also able to pre-order it now. Um, And if you do pre-order then you could be in with a chance of getting an entry to Ring of Steel Sky Race, which is super exciting. Wow, amazing.
2: I might pre-order myself in that case. That sounds pretty damn cool. Uh, I'm sure regular listeners to the show will know by now we're going to link that in the show notes page, which is runningwithjake.com forward slash plodcast. Before I let you go and do all your little toe exercises and your balance work and your clams, I've got one last question for you. We ask all of our guests this question. This is your weekly dose of running motivation. What does the word motivation
0: mean to you? So I think motivation for me is something that just gets me excited to get out and enjoy being outdoors, Um, be that like a photograph or... Just, like, playing around with some mapping and seeing, like, a new route that I could follow or hearing someone's story can sometimes be super motivational for me. So, yeah, if something that gets me really excited and passionate um, and just pricks my ears, then that's kind of what I would say is motivation to me. Ross,
2: it's been a pleasure. You're a top guy. Catch up soon.
0: Thanks, Jake. Cheers. Running with Jake, the podcast.
2: Oh. I'll tell you what we forgot about with all this talk of broken biscuit cake and salted pork. What what, what did we we forget about? We we forgot to mention Rory. Rory Horseman, friend of the show, my friend, fellow running coach. Yes! Took part in the Boston Marathon. We wanted to catch up with him on last week's show, you may recall. If you listened to the episode, uh, we wanted to speak to Rory because he was feeling very nervous going into the Boston Marathon. This is number four... Of the World Majors So uh, people will know Listening that there's Six World Majors At the moment And and this was number Four for Rory So a big deal He wants to tick All of them off He was looking At a two hour Forty five Finish time Definitely going to going two hours Fifty and we wanted to catch up with him, but the signal was terrible. We couldn't do that. But after we recorded the show last week, I did manage to get hold of Rory. Obviously, the whole time difference thing was a bit of a nightmare. He wasn't quite making the best of sense. But I did manage to get from him that he had an amazing time in Boston. But you know what I think is so important and really... I think this is really useful to know, actually. We we did speak a couple of episodes ago about Rory being quite nervous, and he sent me some voice messages. We played them out on the show. Go back and have a listen if you've not heard that episode. But he was feeling quite nervous about the whole thing. He'd suffered a few setbacks with injury. He was a bit concerned about his glute and hamstring and, oh, not so good. Well, it did fall apart for him towards the latter stages of the race in Boston. He didn't come away with the time he was hoping for, which happens. It's real life. He came away with three hours, 60 minutes. So around 30 minutes different from what would have been his dream time. But as he put it in a post that he put on Instagram and he spoke to me about on the phone, you know, you've got to take everything into account, like the occasion. He was there. He loved it. It was his first time running. The streets of Boston, just what an occasion. And he suffered hamstring cramp. He couldn't come up, he couldn't resolve that. It was just getting worse and worse and worse. It forced him to slow down. People will know if you have cramp as I did last year in the race, it's just a it could be a nightmare, particularly warm on the day as well. So, but you know what was so important? The fact that actually he still embraced the whole occasion and he loved it. He loved it. And I expected him when I knew this, I expected him to be quite kind of downbeat and grumpy about the whole thing. And of course, there was an element of disappointment. But the overriding feeling I got from him was just elation. Wow, I was there. I did it. The crowd were amazing. What a memory I've created. I think we can all take something from that, actually. You know, we all put
1: pressure on ourselves, don't we? Yeah, big time. Absolutely. Um, and, and in different areas of life as well. And sometimes, um, like you say, I think it's just like taking the all of the situation into account. You forwarded me the voice message and he just sounded like he just sounded on top of the world, really, even though, you know, that target time uh, didn't necessarily happen for him
2: on the day. But guess what? what he's fired up ready for the next one which happens which happens once the legs start to that discomfort in the legs starts to subside you think right what's next what's the next target come on so he's super fired up which is exactly how it should be and on that note it's time to take another one of your questions it is indeed hashtag ask jake today's question comes from alice who has recently signed up for a half marathon as part of her training for the berlin marathon later this year she knows that she doesn't want to race the half marathon based on where it falls in the training calendar. But she doesn't just want to run it as an easy session either. She wants to know if I've got any thoughts on how she can get creative with it. Alice, I think this is a great opportunity to practice some marathon pace running. And one way of doing this is simply use the first three miles of your half marathon to warm up. And then you could alternate two miles at marathon pace with two miles of easy running. It helps you to dial into the pace you hope to sustain in the Berlin Marathon. And it just keeps things a little bit interesting as it enables you to get a bit creative with that half marathon. I hope that helps. Good luck with your Berlin training. If you've got a question, then it's hashtag Ask Jake, or you can drop me an email at podcast at runningwithjake.com. That brings us to the end of another episode of Running With Jake, the podcast, your weekly dose of running motivation. A massive thank you to our guest today, Ross Brannigan. Also, a big thank you to my old home economics teacher and, of course, Christopher Columbus. If you do want to check out the recipe, the world class recipe <laughs> which is broken biscuit cake then uh, have a little look at the show notes page that is runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast you went all posh then podcast that's this runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast uh, it might be there can't promise you to be honest <laughs> uh, if I can remember all of the ingredients and the amounts I can probably recall the ingredients but not the quantities just guess it'll be fine it's okay we're wing it on this show yeah. regular listeners will know that anyway look you need to crack on with the rest of your day. Get checking those emails, have fun with your Zoom calls, have fun running, and we'll be back next week.
1: And don't forget the school run. Sod the school run. <laughs> oh, and one more thing.
2: you got to risk it to get the biscuit.